0: Welcome, disciple makers, and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy, disciple making church. We've developed tools to help you, like the Watershed Principle, the Spark Conference. Access it today at thesparkconference.com. We're also setting up learning communities across Georgia. Find a community near you at gabaptist.org slash discipleship. Now let's join today's broadcast.
1: Welcome to Georgia Baptist Discipleship, where we seek to bring you the best discipleship practices and principles in Georgia and across the nation. Today, we've got PJ Dunn, our Northeast Northwest Discipleship Consultant, has lined up two incredible leaders, Dallas White and Kyle Clayton, to help us think through a, a very popular and timely subject. And here it is creating intentional spaces on a budget. So make sure you listen to the end because we're gonna wrap this thing up and talk about some top principles and lessons that we've learned to help you maximize the efforts in building, remodeling, or simply designing spaces with purpose. Now, I wanna give a reminder like we normally do. I wanna say a thank you to our listeners because uh, you guys have been interacting over 16,000 times per month, which is pretty incredible. We just thank you for, that you trust us enough to engage like that. And, uh, and PJ, you know, we love giving stuff away, right? We do. So here's what you can do. If you're listening today, make sure that you leave a comment and you'll get entered into today's drawing for free product. And if you share today's link on your page or your groups, you'll get double entry into that drawing. And are you ready for this? You just may get a personal invitation to Dallas White's next Traeger Grill demonstration where he's smoking a Boston, but or meat falling off the bone, Memphis-style ribs. All right, PJ, introduce our guest.
2: Uh, Well, I feel like you just gave the best intro for Dallas's life. Like, in general, (laughs) that's what he lives to to do. That's not true. But he does an excellent job and makes me – he does it so well that I don't even try. And so I just follow him on social media and feel good about it. But Dallas, welcome, man. Um, You do do a lot. You're on our team here with the Mission Board uh, with Young Leaders – Uh, network director, and you also are the pastor at the Grove Church in Ackworth. I think you uh, might play on the high school football team or your pray with them uh, from time to time. You're super involved in your community and your family, Um, but in the midst of all of that, you really have revitalized um, the Grove Church in many aspects, and a lot of that's with intentional spaces, which we'll talk about today. So uh, my first question to you, uh, Dallas, in that introduction is, can I say revitalized or are we revitalizing? When does it change?
3: Never quit. You never quit. Yeah. <laughs> once, you, once you get one thing done, um, by the time you get two or three other things done, you're back to that thing you started with. So no, it's always a process of uh, trying to to become more and more like Jesus. Uh, and that process will go on, you know, until <laughs> till he comes back or till he takes us home.
2: Revitalization by Sanctification. I think you Mm. just created a whole new category. That's your book. I look forward to the royalties from that. And we have Kyle Clayton on. Kyle is the pastor at Grace Baptist Church in Cartersville. And I've gotten to know Kyle uh, over the last year and a half. I actually met him over Zoom. We were doing um, um, uh, Ken Adams. We were doing the Intentional uh, Disciple making pastor uh, cohort kind of model where we met together for a few weeks. Phenomenal thing. Uh, we met each other through that. I ended up moving to North Georgia. We got to hang out in person. Uh, he took me to a place called West man's that I'll never forget. And um, he has just been phenomenal at being intentional on what he's doing at his church. Uh, one of the things I love about Kyle is that he knows his people well. Uh, He knows every single one of them in the church. When we walk down the hallway, he knows them and their prayer requests and their needs. He's, you know, also in a Sunday school class. He's preaching on Sunday mornings, man. He's going for it. And in the midst of all of that, um, Kyle, you've done some intentional improvements in your building and you have a pretty good size facility, um, even though you don't fill it like you once did. It is very much a revitalization aspect, but you're really focused on disciple making and all of those things. So uh, we look forward to hearing from you. So welcome to the show,
4: Kyle. And if you see my three-year-old daughter running around, had to pivot a little bit today, but I, I guarantee you she'll add some fun to the show as well. But uh, <laughs> thank you, PJ. It's a uh, It's a ministry, as we know, is a labor of love and Uh, Coming into a situation like Grace Baptist Church, these were people that were just wanting to be loved, and they're easy to love, which is nice. So uh, building the relationships has been, uh, you know, the major part of my job, but it's been the most fun part of it as well.
2: Well, you love them about as good as this puffin does, a nice cold Coca-Cola. So my friend, uh, we're excited to have you on today. And, you know, as I've been visiting with pastors all over Georgia in the north and in the south, we really struggle with paralysis analysis on updates. And we've heard that phrase before, but we just start thinking about what we should, and then we get overwhelmed. I've sat with pastors who just look around their building and think, there's no way I can do anything. You know, this is a multi million dollar tear down this building. I don't have that kind of money. Do you know where we're at? I mean, I've heard all of those. And what it is, is you just, you kind of psych yourself out of doing anything, and you don't think of that one little micro step or that baby step you can do. Um, And you just don't do anything. And next thing you know, you're two years down the road and you still haven't done anything. You still haven't painted that room down the hall. You still haven't updated the foyer for guests and those kind of things. And so they know they need to update. Um, They just don't know where to start and when and how much that costs. And so uh, one example uh, in my travels was, uh, you know, churches looking to do digital signage. Uh, Digital signage is very expensive. But it's somehow easier to get people to sign up to give money for that or to take it out of a designated fund than it is to say, "Can I have ten thousand dollars to update the main hallway a little bit and what that would look like?" That's scarier than the fifty or one hundred thousand dollars digital sign that they're like, "Oh, I know what that is." And so sometimes our people just don't know. So we go for the project they'll fund, but it's not the one that has the biggest impact. You could do a lot more with those funds and, um, you know, another classic example is just getting a new logo, right, Dallas? So a new logo fixes everything and you don't have to do anything. And but logos don't fix problems. Log- logos are just icons. And so, my first question to you, Dallas, is just how do our environments, decorations, that branding, all that kind of stuff, how do they communicate? How do those communicate to our guests and to our church?
3: Well, I love the way you just sort of close that question, PJ, because one thing that's really important to understand, in my opinion, is um renovated spaces are not a substitute for renovated people and Mm -hmm. at the end of the day if our spaces are the best in the world but our people don't match those spaces right like if there's no change in the hearts of our people then then your guest and your people in your community are going to come into this really beautiful space and that's going to be the end of it right because um, what draws people into a church obviously is the spirit of God working in the people of God who are there. And so I know at the Grove Church, before we ever thought about, you know, picking up a paintbrush or knocking down a wall or even doing a new logo, or whatever those, those um, things that are good, before we ever thought about doing any of them, we really just said, hey, let's let's take these people to the scriptures. Let's get them back in the word. Because as the word renovates people's hearts, it becomes a lot easier to renovate spaces. And then, you know, as we know through the scriptures, oftentimes new spaces um, are a sign that God's doing a new work, right? So Mm -hmm. when, you know, when the tabernacle is constructed, the temple is constructed, um, all of those were moments in time where God was just signifying like, hey, I'm ready to do something new. So they can be uh, facilities and and spaces that are renovated can be this wonderful complement to the work that God's doing in the hearts of his people in a church, but they can't ever be a substitute for it. And so that's the approach that we tried to take was let's get our hearts right. Let's get the the culture of our church right, the people who are here. And then we found um, two things. Number one, it it made um, the experience of our guest, it made it genuine, right? Because there was people who were kind of carrying it out week in and week out but it also provided resources and and, uh, in terms of funding, in terms of time, in terms of skilled labor, right? It it brought all of those things to the table because people whose hearts are being transformed by the word of God are uh, eager to use the gifts that God's given them um, to build his kingdom. And so it was just so helpful for us. And it's what I would say to any pastor or leader in local church life that's considering something along these lines. is like, Hey, there's no silver bullet in in you know, flipping a facility. and all of a sudden the culture of your church changes. It starts with getting your people into God's Word. And what we found at the Grove is the more you get God's people into God's Word, um, the easier it is to do some of these things that, as you you referenced, are kind of hard sometimes for us to figure out.
2: Yeah. And I was thinking of um, Chris Clark. He's the pastor at First Baptist. Uh, Epworth, and Epworth is in the mountains. I mean, it is right on the border there of Tennessee and Georgia and uh, just just looks like a a quaint little, you know, old church and you get up to it and they've done very intentional updates. And he said the same thing you said about renovating people. He was like, we want to build a culture. So the Sunday I came, we talked about disciple making culture at a church because he's like, I think we got us in the right culture mindset. We just don't know where to go with it. And so we talked about relationships and how that matters because the renovation helped them feel like they could do something differently. And so sometimes the the new paint leads people. And I think we'll talk about that with Kyle here and say it leads you in a different direction. It helps them walk in and have a new appreciation um, and ownership into that facility. But tell us, I mean, both of your renovations are differently. So just briefly, like how did you go about that since being there, Dallas? Like what would you, how would you give the timeline of your renovations?
3: Yeah, so um... Man, uh, the first time I walked through the campus here at uh, the Grove Church, um, man, there were just things that immediately sort of caught my eye because I recognized these are things that probably haven't received attention in, in quite some time. Spaces that were unused, um, or spaces that were used but but maybe not used to their full potential. We're a very traditional church building, so um, our classrooms were really small. You know, we were just sort of working with what we had, and so part of that, um, obviously, just coming in and sort of beginning to dream right so i remember yeah. walking through the facilities with people who were were already here and asking some questions and, and sharing some initial dreams and um you I mean, it was it's almost like the light bulb kind of came on for them and they started to dream and so it just began that process of like let's get our people healthy let's get our church healthy and then as we did that um one thing that you battle sometimes in a traditional church is this nostalgia for the way that things have always looked right So what we found is as the word started to do work in people's lives, things that are not that important, like paint color, carpet color, you know, pews or chairs, so on and so forth, all of that, that, that stuff started to subside and people just didn't care as much anymore. Right. So then it became easier to do some of these renovations because when we did them, we weren't, we weren't battling for those things. We were just sort of saying, Hey, here's what we feel led to do. And our people were really supportive. So uh, it was just a process for us. We knew first and foremost we had to start with our kids' space. And so um, we just began to cast vision for that. Uh, I'll never forget um, my son, my oldest son, Judah, I think was seven or eight at the time. And we were sort of doing our first big push to raise resources and funding uh, for that. And he came down one Sunday morning before church and he had a little um, bag with money in it. And I said, Judah, what is that? And he was like, that I this is what I'm giving for the offering, and I said, "Well, you know, did you did you count up? What, what are you what are you giving today?" And he just looked at me and in the little kid eyes, he's like, "I'm I'm giving all of it." And he didn't know how much it was, but he had just he had emptied all that he had. It ended up being like three hundred dollars, which was crazy. I was like, "Where'd you get this money?" You know, <laughs> but but he he gave it all. And the Lord just broke me that morning, and I ended up bringing Judah. He was like like I said, seven or eight at the time on stage that morning. And he shared that with our church and it changed everything. I mean, if I was to credit, like some people look at, you know, the growth of the Grove Church and they say, man, like the, you guys have doubled your budget in five years. You know, you, you've done all these renovations, you paid cash for all this sort of stuff. I honest to God, we give credit to my son because his act of generosity inspired other acts of generosity. There were people sitting in that service that day that had brought checks and they, they gave that check and they went home and wrote other checks, um, give because of what he did and that doesn't happen, you know, just because of an emotional moment, the, the, the soil of their hearts was tilled by the word, right. Going back to that, that truth, but then because they had a practical example of generosity, um, it just fueled that fire. And so that was sort of the starting point for us. And then quite frankly, PJ COVID helped us because our church was shut down. And so, um, after a few weeks and realizing hey we're going to be <laughs> we're going to be like this for a minute we were able to come in and with all this sort of extra time that we had in the the new normal that we were in I man, we all learned to do different things and contribute in different ways and so we were able to transform that kid space so when we came back from COVID our our people and our families walked into you know an entirely different space that that they had paid for and and um our team was able to sort of help execute uh over time and it's just been one step after another and so by God's grace, over these last five years, we've been able to do um, about half a million dollars worth of renovations to our campus. So there are very few little pockets of our our property that haven't been renovated yet. But um, it's been really cool to see the transformation. And like you said, sometimes as you start to change those things, it can really help amplify what you're saying about change, about the sort of the newness of life in the, the church culture.
2: Yeah, and you just can't fabricate authenticity. Like you can't make that up what your son did that wasn't coached, it was a moment, it was genuine. And people from the outside looking in could be cynical on something like that, but the fact is it was genuine. It was it was relational to your community and the people that were in the room that day and it was your next step. And I guess that's that's one takeaway I hear from what you're saying. We're stepping into this, right? This wasn't just a a big lump sum, big bat, let's just fix all of it. I mean, you're taking one step that you can take, and then COVID happened. I can take this step. Let's take this step. And that's exciting. Um, one, one example of that was uh, Justin Holcomb's church, you know, Adco Baptist Church. Man, they, are, they do fantastic wayfinding on in their logo and their branding. And there are some things they haven't got, been able to get to yet, but people will give you credit for you showing that you're trying to, to, to make a change. So don't think that people are going to wait five years to come to your church or guest. I mean, they did a fantastic job with their signage and how they interacted and all those kind of things. So, um, Kyle, um, I, I really want you to uh, kind of lean in to tell us a little bit about, you know, your time there at your church, but also how you've utilized your membership to kind of make some of those updates.
4: At Grace Baptist Church, just over a year and a half now. Uh, So I was not with the church during COVID. But just as Dallas has said, I felt like getting the church through COVID, it has changed their perception. Grace, very much a traditional building and very much a traditional church. But they were at that point when I came in of, okay, we want to do something a little different. Uh, Some of the first steps that I took, and it was something as simple as uh, putting up new screens in our worship center so we could have a more focused worship. Uh, I wanted to test the wires. I wanted to, one, it was a necessity in my eyes, but I wanted to make sure the church saw it that way. Uh, So I wanted to take it slow, uh, be intentional. And I went to every single Sunday school class to give the explanation, give the why, if you will and say, look, we're, we're making this change. Uh, this is how we're going to approach it. it. It's not gonna happen tomorrow. It's gonna happen a couple of weeks from now. If you have questions on it, or if there are issues, then please, by all means, come and talk to me. Uh, just from that alone, establishing that I'm not gonna pull the wool or pull the rug right out from underneath you. Uh, that bought me some capital, but it also set up precedent for me as to how to make more changes in the future. Uh, It's not that I've done it the same way every single time, but I always try to go back to the, okay, let's give it a couple of weeks ahead of time, make sure I'm properly communicating it to the people in a setting where they feel like they can communicate back. If you just shout this stuff from the pulpit, it not only gets lost on some people, but no one necessarily, you may have some like this that may just step up and say, uh, you know, we need to talk about this first. No one will really do that. but to bring them in on the process uh, to help them buy into it and feel like they were a part of it has made all the difference in the world. And that's where other ideas have come in uh, and, and developing relationships with people that I trust. Hey, let's take this and run with it or giving ownership to a Sunday school class of, hey, we can really update this space. Here are some guidelines. Here are some ideas. And whether it was okay, we'll, we'll throw in some money for this, or let's take this group of ladies and group of guys to actually go and purchase these things. This is what we're trying to make it. So there's buy-in it gets them excited when the people are excited where they do, they want to tell other people about it. And if they can sense the excitement, that authenticity comes up again, then other people want to be a part of it as well. Uh, so that's been the fun part of the past yeah, year. And, and,
2: and you know, as we've, as we've gotten to know each other and, and I've gotten to know some of your church members Um, it's been kind of a fun process. And, uh, and even that day that I was able to, to preach, I hadn't planned on, on, on the story, but the, uh, the mulch, right? Remember the mulch story? So do you want to tell it?
4: Oh, yes. All right. So, so remind me. Um, Oh, um, yeah, it, uh, geez, my, my dad is, is just recently, and I say recently, past three or four years retired. Um, So what does he do? He lives in Cleveland, Tennessee, and whenever he just kind of gets the urge, he's going to drive an hour and a half down here and see what he can do on the grounds of the church. Uh, but, uh, you know, for him to talk to some key people and, uh, you know, they, they asked forgiveness a little bit more than they asked permission. But that was something when people came into church, it was, wow, we know this has been updated. This has been changed. Time has been put into this. And bottom line, we, we give a rip about what the outside of our church looks like and we want it to be appealing to others as well. So yeah, that's my that's my Steve Clayton story. He's yeah,
2: a <laughs> he, he, Um, I mentioned in the sermon on that day, something about, I can tell you care about your church because you have fresh mulch outside. You do that because you care that people are gonna show up and see the fresh mulch. We know that mulch doesn't share the gospel, but it does communicate value and it does communicate care. And so do I like spending money on mulch? No, none of us do. We all know it's gonna burn one day. But we do it because it's important to that whole process of communication. And so, um, you know, out of all of those stories, you know, you really had a church member step up and give leadership towards the creative side of it. Um, and she really helped you with that. And, and so as a, as a consultant, you know, I, I always write a blank check and I say, if I can help in any way, let me know. And Kyle cashed it. He was like, fine, then show up. <laughs> and so That's I right. showed up and on, a, on an afternoon. And we met uh, the three of us and we just walked the the campus and we just threw out ideas. It's not like I'm an expert at any of this. I'm not. I'm not a facilities guy. I just know what I've seen in other churches. So I'm just communicating some of those things. And we kind of landed on a plan of uh, some paint with some lighting and a deep clean. Like we just need to get somebody in here to clean every surface that we can, clean all the chairs and just brighten it up a little bit. And I mean, I, I don't know what the total budget ended up being for that, but it really was within scope, right, Kyle, of what you were hoping?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Definitely within what we were thinking, but then also just from the excitement of the people, yeah. I, I had some that were uh, involved in the community, involved in their own businesses, so they knew of other nonprofits and uh, nonprofit organizations that at the end of the year part of what they want to do is give back to other nonprofits because it makes them look good. Uh, and boy, when you give to a church, some people are really on top of that as well. So for us to receive money in this way and then piece it together, but again, like the mulch, it were, it was changes that people could walk in and see and smell because of the deep cleaning. And, uh, again, people got excited about it.
2: Yeah, well, it, it's a pretty big deal. You know, you're a humble guy, but it's a big deal what you've been able to do with just a few thousand dollars and loving people. The love and the and the genuineness behind it is what's allowed you to make some pretty significant changes. Um, and the Lord's really blessed it. Um, I think of uh, Johnny Johnny Day over at Shallowford Baptist Church, just a super faithful pastor leading this church through, uh, through a tough season, but also seeing some really positive things happen. And uh, we went to lunch and, and I'm like, man, Johnny, like when I walk into your church, it doesn't look like you. He's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, you're cool. You got like a tattoo, like you're neat. You're like slim, your fit. You probably go to CrossFit. Like you're a cool dude. And I show up to your church and it looks like it's from the eighties. There's gotta be something you can do in the foyer to reflect more of who you are in your identity. And um, he said, well, how do we go about that? So he got a couple of volunteers, he got a couple of creative people together, and they redid the interior of that that walkway <laughs> when you walk into the church. It's all they could afford. And I think they spent a few hundred bucks. And it really made a difference the next Sunday when they came in and they saw the the different things because it was relevant to that, that church. And so you just don't know what your next step is. But but it doesn't have to be all or nothing, you know that's what both of you are saving is saying let me let me do a little bit more of a rapid fire here, one. So um Dallas, what are some budget saving tips like when you're renovating and what you've gone through, what are some budget saving ideas?
3: Yeah, well, we didn't you know we weren't. Thinking about budget saving until the general contractor came back and told us what the project would cost, and we thought, let's think about how we can (laughs) save here, right? So, uh, COVID—I mean, you know—COVID helped us in a big way because it just changed so much of how we had to do ministry for a season. Um, So, I'm not saying you know go out and look for the next big pandemic or anything like that, but it just forced us to adapt, and so I learned new skills during that period, and some of our our people learned new skills. and one thing I always heard, man, that just is stuck with me, uh, and I heard this from Pastor Johnny Hunt one time. He said, there are some things that I no longer have to do, but there's nothing that I'm not willing to do. And I, I try to model that for, for my people, for the people I serve and lead. Um, man, I'm not above carrying concrete blocks out, and I'm not above knocking walls down. I'm not above hanging lights and, and all of those sorts of things. And so one way to save money, honestly, is to take those projects, which are, um, maybe more menial, uh, and not necessarily where you need a great expert, and to sort of um, empower people in the church to learn those skills, and then to to help facilitate those projects. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, and and being willing as a pastor communicates leadership, and so they see you there, they know that you're doing that. And, I'll, and listen, a lot of our people know that we work hard. I don't I don't think the stigma is that we have a bunch of lazy pastors in the pulpit. I think people know we work hard and I think they know that we work. Some of us, you know, are bivocational, a lot of us are and then we just got a lot going on. Um and I think of uh it's not a it's it he saved the building. So Andrew uh, Carnegie down in uh Benny, Georgia, um, had a beaver who was building a, a dam and it was causing flooding up to the church and so he went out and shot the beaver. All right. So sometimes your building just needs saving and you got to you got to sure. shoot something. That's a that's a deep South Georgia reference. All right. Um, uh, Kyle, any other kind of budget saving things that you saw as you went through?
4: You know, I, I love the, the P.J. Dunn method instead of even knocking down a wall at times or having to paint a wall. If you just hang things on a wall, it can sometimes look a whole lot better or hanging lights uh lights if you buy the right ones are not always expensive and you can change the setting one or change the coziness of a room just by changing the lighting so uh yeah not having to to spend all the money but spend some of it that may be temporary and for a time but it spruces it up a bit
2: yeah and there's a key temporary so like don't oversolve the problem sometimes that fixture that's seven times more is worth it but that may not be where you're at you know but if you were redoing a multi-million dollar project you buy the more expensive one that we know they're different, but just do it at that. So um, Scott, um, let me bring you in here. And I would love to hear from you. Like, you know, what do you think some main issues are that you've seen and why churches don't update spaces and environments? You've traveled a lot, been in multiple states with a lot of leaders. So what are some of those main issues you've seen of why they don't um, maybe take action?
1: Yeah, I will, and then I tell you what I'd love to hear from Dallas and Kyle too to to dive a little deeper on something uh, PJ that that was just brought up, but I think it's a huge issue that church is going to deal with, and it's the idea of how do you know what to let your people do to give them buy-in, and then what is needs to be reserved for the professional, because I've done I've been involved, involved in these buildings remodeling, renovating in three different churches over the last thirty years. And that was always a huge piece because you have good hearted people who come in. Hey, I want to help. I want to do this. But then and, I, and I've got some mistakes that we made and I ended up spending more money to fix mistakes because I was just trying to give people. So I'd love to hear from you guys in just a second uh, if you want to think through that. Now, your, your question, PJ, <clears throat> Winston Churchill said this one time, success is moving from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. So, I remember that quote, and when we talk about remodeling, renovation, there are um, issues that we that we come in contact with. And I think that's important. So here are a couple of thoughts. Sometimes church members ask questions and share alternate ideas, that we as leaders take it personally, and we feel like the project is failing if we don't go with our idea. Mm. So, I just want to caution us as we as we involve and we participate with our church members, That not everything they say is bad, and we don't have to take everything personally. In reality, God will use these sandpaper people to give us insight and sometimes provide boundaries for those of us who tend to think beyond borders and think big, in addition to the things we already have talked about. Let me give you uh, just five quick ideas. First, uh, Dallas mentioned this early start with Holy Spirit led vision. There's no substitute for praying and fasting and then inviting your people into that project. Number two, Create spaces that stir people's affections for the Lord. So that when people get there, we want to create spaces that people want to hang out. And where children and teens look forward to being there and proud to be there, bring their friends. Number three, create safe environments. For those of you that may be watching, like what we went through in one of our churches in Louisiana um, in, in dealing with a sexual predator within the church, these safe environments Communicate to families that have children and teenagers. You need to put every process in place, but you can also do this with spaces you create. And then four, create a space that will outlive the trend. PJ, I think you talked about that um, in in something a while, just a bit ago, that create the spaces that look great now that people can appreciate in in 10 years when a new group of family comes in, a new leadership is there. But I also wanna encourage you to keep in mind that one day the style and the vibe that you built won't work and God will bring another Nehemiah to come in and to remodel what you guys and they'll re revitalize what you've been working on. So, so don't be married to anything that's not your spouse. And when that happens, don't be the hater that jumps in and says, this is what we did. And you will end up being the guy that you hated when you did your part of that. So if I can kick this back to Dallas and Kyle real quick, do y'all have any thoughts on that idea that we, that PJ brought out a while ago? You know, are there are there some parameters of, of we need to as leaders think through about what we can involve with our people, but what really needs to be for professionals? Um, Dallas, let me start with you, and then Kyle, you fill in the blanks.
3: Yeah, for us, it was just an opportunity cost type deal where we're we're looking at okay, what do we think we can handle? Uh, we had a a, a time frame, obviously, we're trying to live within. So, um, can we? Do we have the skills necessary? to get this job done in the time frame that we have to get it done. So that was a big piece of it. Um, you know, how much can we save? I mean, there are some things, you know, some things where for us to spend the time to do something, it was like, man, we can't save that much money. So we need to just hire this piece out. Mm-hmm. And then obviously there's some skills that we just didn't have. So, um, you know, part of our um, kids project, our kids renovation, uh, there was asbestos beneath the carpet. And so that's yeah, one of those projects where it didn't take long to say, we're not going to do that one. Uh, we're gonna hire that piece out. And there was some specialized like labor and skills and stuff that we wanted to um to bring in. So for us, it was just saying, like, man, what do what do we have the capacity to do? What are we gifted to do? What kind of menial tasks could could we could, you know, could we take it uh into our court and, and sort of save the money on? And then that allowed us to um not feel as bad about spending some additional resources on those other things because we knew we had saved it in other places. So that was kind of our approach to uh, the projects that we've done on our campus.
1: Good word. Kyle? I think
4: Dallas, you know, said a lot going into that, but again, it's knowing your people. It's having the relationships of your people and maybe having the conversation of what are your limitations? What are you able to do? You may have all the the gung-ho attitude in the world, but Uh, at the end of the day, if you're not up to the task, you've got to be able to have that conversation of, hey, let's do this. Let's go ahead and spend the money so that we can do it well, so that it can last uh, instead of just putting it in the hands of your people and then it becoming something else and something else as a pastor that you've got to worry about. So knowing your people, uh, knowing what your options are. And again, again, as Dallas said, it's kind of case by case. You go into it thinking one thing and when as best as shows up, and eh, let's go ahead and pivot and do something else. So being able to do that as well.
1: That's a great word. And one thing, a couple of things I learned in that thought was in the smaller projects, just surrounding myself with people who were smarter than me. They just knew more than me, had more experience. And then the lar- the medium the larger size product, projects, it was really getting a project manager who just knew a lot more than what we could as the typical church member, or even us as pastors who does this for a living, man, those things. And I have, I have uh, wasted a lot of money because I didn't do some of those things. Now let's uh, transition here. Let me throw another question out uh, PJ. I'd love to get your thoughts and then jump in with Dallas and Kyle. How can these intentional environments stir people's affection for the Lord and help us make disciples? Cause we really don't want to just create these spaces and then check the box and say, man, we got the coolest space in town. It really needs to fit within the strategy that we have for making disciples, which is the command of, um, of church and for our leaders. So, PJ, any thoughts here?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, what's
1: cool will always change.
2: It will always change. And and we like to think that we know what's cool, uh, but there's an entire generation that's behind everybody that's on this call today that has an entirely different definition of what cool is and gets all of their news from TikTok. And so we don't know what the next one will want, but we know, hey, for right now, this is what people see in their context, and this is where they're at, and that changes, right? So just as Paul did, he had the ability to connect to his culture to make disciples. Paul was crazy intentional about being all things to all people so that some may hear the gospel, and sometimes that's putting out mulch or that's putting up white ship shiplap so that Chip and Joe looks like they showed up at your church, you know, and whatever you got to do to fake an idea, you know, like, I, I don't think Paul had every idea of how to connect. I think he surrounded himself with people and he came into a town and he said, you tell me, he didn't show up with, here's my ideas. And so, you know, South Georgia, Southeast Georgia, all these towns, everybody's different. So we can't just say, here's a package. This will make your church cool and people will come paint it white. That may not be your community. So we we often don't wanna give those answers for that. So um, relationships are the focus. Relationships have to be there for disciple making to happen. These spaces have to reflect your culture and your context to reach people for the gospel. And when we have culture and context that help us build relationships, then we know we're we're kind of hitting the mark on intentionality for discipleship. And that's when it gets real exciting when you see spaces that actually make me think I should be in a relationship, a disciple making relationship and words and those kind of
1: things. Good word, Kyle.
4: We've tried to use words in our updates and in our changes like comfortable, inviting, uh, cozy is one that gets thrown out but we wanna make uh, something, a a space where people feel comfortable. You build relationships when you're comfortable. church just the word itself can be so daunting especially to those that are not in church that are outside but if this is a safe place or it feels like one then it, it makes it easier on our people who are on the inside to build those relationships to open up and be honest and authentic. So that's uh you know cool. I, I'm not called cool very much. I don't know that we try to do that but yeah comfortable and inviting is something that we go for and that changes as well. It's just knowing your people and what you can do and uh, how to go from there?
2: Well, and let me brag on Kyle and how he did that with just chairs. All right, because he's not gonna he's not gonna talk about himself, so I have to talk about him. All right, so they they have a, a pretty large sanctuary, different kind of people that are showing up than were when it was built, and so we just be just sat in the room and stared at it, and we just started throwing out ideas. Uh, with this other lay leader and then he started doing some ideas we started doing some ideas and so they've morphed their space into where they have some tables and rows and took out some rows on the wings so that people are a little bit closer together and it's just so radically different than what you see when you when you normally walk into a space like that and like the first week they do it they have people that are filled up at the tables they're like we need more tables. That's what I mean by disciple-making environment. These round tables, these mixed environments of chairs are creating people to have new conversations. I'm not in the same spot. I'm talking to different people on Sunday than I used to. So anyhow, that I had to brag on for just a second, Scott. Wow.
4: Thank you, buddy. And those are the first seats that are filled up on a Sunday morning still. And it's different age groups and different walks of life, ages of life that, man, we've got to sit at the table. I
3: love it. Excellent. <laughs> Dallas? Man, one thing we've tried to keep in mind is we're we're designing for the next generation. We're designing for the people who are coming behind us. So, you know, there are um, the people who probably funded most of our renovations are not the people who probably uh, are reached by those renovations. Right. Like they're not uh, they're not walking in and thinking like, man, I love you know, I, I want my home to look like this. But we we try to do it in such a way where they can appreciate the excellence of it, the value of it. Um and they they recognize from the beginning that what we're doing is we're designing for those people that are that are coming behind us, and I'm included in that now. Like, man, I'm I'm about to be 38, so um, I'm 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 on that that crescendo, I guess, uh, is what they tell me, Scott, that I'm I'm getting close to that hill, and so even me, like, man, I, it's not what I like anymore. It's like, who are the people coming behind me? And I have found that in a church where you've got spirit filled saints, people who have known Jesus for a long time and are growing still in their walk with him, nothing gives them more life than seeing the generations coming behind them, experiencing the same thing. So the the oldest folks in our church, and we've got this incredible spectrum of of ages, um, probably one of the most diverse churches age-wise I've ever been in in my life from the youngest of the young to to multiple 90-year-olds and and all on the same pew you know on a sunday or, or or row of chairs i love that about our church but they will tell you the people in our church who are who are older uh than much older than i am will tell you i mean there's nothing like seeing these young families coming in or seeing these students or young adults coming in and so uh They've bought into that. And because they bought into that, we've been able to do, you know, so many different things around our campus. So I would say just keeping an eye towards the next generation, the people you're designing it for. And that doesn't mean you got to go off the deep end per se or try to follow the trends, you know, so closely that you're, you're excluding people. Um, but man, there's a way to do it. And it, it really exudes um, in that, that invitational atmosphere that we're trying to create for those people in our community.
2: All right, and I have to I have to brag on Dallas. All right, so the idea that I've stolen from Dallas that I have told every church uh, in North Georgia about, so when you see it everywhere, Dallas, you'll know that you had an, a gospel impact everywhere, okay? In the in the basement, the second floor of their building, they have on the, on the well, wall PJ, on that.
3: PJ, we don't call it the basement anymore.
2: Sorry, sorry, what do you call it now? Call it the commons. Mm, the commons, okay, sorry. In the commons, <laughs> Thank um, you. let me hold my with a pinky. All right, in the commons um there is an entire wall with a map on it it's not a super detailed map it's a very streamlined map but when you sit in that room you realize what community you're in and you don't think about the building and who's inside of the building you're thinking about who's outside the building so Kyle and I have talked about that as like hey how can you put that on his wall Brady Fortenberry up at Fellowship Church in Rome, is looking at doing that on his wall. So there's going to be maps all over North Georgia, and, and that's what Dallas inspired. Uh, but it really does communicate mission and vision, Dallas. I just thought that was a really sharp idea of all the ones, you know, that you
1: did. I love it. Those are all great thoughts. And um, Dallas mentioned about something about relevancy or jumping off the uh, that wagon and getting older. And uh, of course, I'm 51. And I jumped off the cool wagon already. So Um, I I rely on other people. Hey, let me close some thoughts here, try to summarize some of this. And I want to give six concepts that I've heard in this conversation with PJ, Kyle, and with Dallas. Here's the first, renovated people and spaces. Dallas mentioned the importance of our hearts being renovated and the right culture of the church being healthy so that guests' experiences match the renovated spaces. Incredible thought. Number two, assess assess the problems that are at your church and make sure that if you're going to go through the money and the expense, the the time to rebuild or build or renovate, make sure that you address those problems. I learned this by watching Craig Dale at Ivy Creek and some of the things they're doing currently right now and move into that um, in January of 2023. But also you're preparing for the future and looking what others have done. I mean, contact Dallas, talk to Kyle, Talk to some of these guys like John Barber at First Calhoun or you know, guys in other, other places in your region, and we can help you connect with them because some people have already thought through this, so there's no reason to make the mistakes when other people have gone that way. Number three, PJ mentioned relationships. So this third thought I would give you is this, trust. Trust is the relational soil in which individual and organizational change happens. Spend lots of time loving on the people, building trust, and you'll gain credibility if you'll do that. And I've learned that people love you and trust you. If they do that, then they're much much less likely to crucify you when you offer change. Here's four, Holy Spirit. Start with Holy Spirit-breathed vision and let that guide you. And then when knuckleheads like me come in and give you these creative ideas, you let that guide you and whether it fits or does not fit into the overall plan Number five, flexibility. All of these guys have mentioned this and I would say don't be married to anything but your spouse, but rarely does your perfectly thought out ideas just work as you imagined that they would. So you you may have to think about those alterations that are suggested and they just may work better than what you originally thought. Number six, quality leaders. Each of these guys talked about how they gathered around them people who had thoughts and uh, knew more than they did. Huge as you prepare for your project. Number seven, momentum. Giving people an opportunity to voice their opinion and engage in the project is somehow, it it creates huge momentum for your church. And I realize this is risky if you give them too much voice and too much interaction, but if they don't get a voice, eventually your people will forget how to speak and serve and you as a leader will lose credibility. And then number eight, have fun. Man, do all you can to dream big, Uh, Be creative, involve people, focus on quality. But don't forget, like Kyle was talking about a while ago, how they just had fun in the project. Don't forget to have fun and create a rewarding experience. Kyle Clayton, Dallas White, thanks for sharing and investing in our leaders. And uh, where can people get in touch with you if they have further follow-up questions?
3: Dallas, yeah, 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 Dallas, go ahead.
1: Do you have an email or something?
3: Yeah, uh, email me at Dallas at the Grove.TV. Uh, You can visit our church's website at thegrove.tv. Um, everything is there. And man, if you're in the area or even if you're not, but you're coming through Northwest Atlanta, maybe you're going to a Braves game or something uh, at some point this year, and you wanna just stop by and check out our facility. Certainly, like Scott said, we're not experts by any means, but um, we have seen God do some cool things here at the Grove and uh, any ideas that would be helpful to you, we'd obviously be happy to share those. Perfect. Kyle?
4: Tag me at Kyle, K Y L E, at GraceCartersville.com. Find us online at GraceCartersville or, yeah, GraceCartersville.com as well. Um, we would love to serve you, be around you. And yeah, if you want a place to come and be comfortable and build community, come see us at Grace Family.
1: Awesome. Awesome. PJ, man, thanks for being awesome and for creating this discussion, gathering these guys to be on, uh, for also being a close, trusted friend and just all that you do for our team. Lana Melton, John Graham, thanks for producing. And I want to remind our listeners that we're only able to do this because you give to the cooperative program. So thank you for doing that. And I pray that today's discussion with Dallas and Kyle and PJ will equip you to think deeply, invest purposefully and dream big as we make world-impacting disciples. Thanks
0: for listening. We want to continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need, and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift, the five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple-makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org slash discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple making.